The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by MePhoto, who has just introduced their latest generation of tripod, the MePhoto Air. They're lighter, smaller, more stable, and more colorful than ever. Find out more about this and other great designs by visiting MePhoto.com and use the code THECANDIDFRAME to get 15% off any MePhoto purchase of your choice. That's MePhoto, M-E-F-O-T-O.com. This is X, and this is The Candid Frame. As much as exposure, lighting, focus, and Photoshop play a role in making good photographs, it's composition that tells you the most about a photographer's eye. A lot of other techniques can be duplicated by others, but the way a photographer sees and how he or she takes those elements in front of the camera and puts them together, well, that's a more elusive thing to mimic, especially when you're photographing spontaneous moments. Wedding photographer Kara Plechenik is a Nebraska-based wedding photographer who knows this well and who's sharing her knowledge in her latest book, The Enthusiast's Guide to Composition, 50 Photographic Principles You Need to Know. As her photographs and her book reveal, a photographer's eye for composition is a skill that is ever-evolving and changing. It's that thing that can help a photographer to discover and create their own visual style. Well, Kara, welcome to The Candid Frame. I'm real, it's a real pleasure to, to have you on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I certainly want to talk to you about your new book, but before we do that, why don't we introduce people to who you are and the kind of work that you do. You you studied communications in college, but you ended up becoming you know, quite the accomplished wedding photographer. Tell us about how that sort of developed for you. How did you find that working behind the camera is what you wanted to do with your life? Well, I was really into photography for as long as I can remember. Even watching when I was a kid and loving Sesame Street, one of the characters on the show was a photographer, and it always caught my attention. So in high school, I took classes and uh, just really loved it, had my own dark room, set my dark room up even in my dorm room in college. Uh, and I, I really struggled actually choosing between a communication major and some sort of art degree. But I really struggled with, I don't know, just how that would really play out um, and what it would be like to have to, to study art like under someone else's direction, I guess. And I ended up just sticking with my comm major, which I think has served me really well as far as running a business and promoting a business and building a brand and all of that. So I, I had a lot of my first jobs were in the marketing field which I think was also helpful, but I was always shooting on the side and, and eventually that just became a real force, I guess. And, and it was time to let go of my other, you know, office jobs. 
and and then I've had my studio full time for I think eleven years now. I haven't really looked back. Tell me about that transition because I think that's always a very sort of can be a really difficult time because you have to make a leap from you know what you perceive as security to going Definitely. out. On, on your own. So tell me about what that time was like for you. Well, I, you know, that's something I think about often. And I, I think it would it, to think back and just think about if I were to be doing that again, I think it's always nerve wracking. And I would get, I would be anxious about it all over again, if I was doing it over again, because it is, it's scary. But in my case, I, I always had side hustle going on. So okay. Even when I was working full time in a communication marketing job, I was getting up early to work on photo business related things. Like I would get up early and this was all in the early digital era. So before really we had the ability to use labs all over the place as readily as prevalent as we do now. So at that time, I was actually having to drive discs over to a local lab to get orders and stuff. So I would wake up early and make those kinds of runs and errands before my nine to five job started. And then I'd go to my job. And then during my lunch hour, I would be following up with clients and checking email and whatever. And then after my nine to five job, I would then be out shooting in the evenings and editing and whatever. So I really did both full time for a really long time. And then uh, there just came a point where it was sort of a natural exit for me from that nine to five job. And I was like, why would I replace this right now? Mm -hmm. I'm so busy with this photo business stuff that I'm just going to see how that goes. And I, that was the end of it. (laughs) So it wasn't like this huge, this, um, that I had to really choose to just cut the cord. It was kind of a natural just ending. Okay. And I remember being surprisingly less freaked out than I thought I would be. In fact, at the time I was dating my now husband and shortly after I left that other job, we ended up going on a three week trip to Europe and I was buying the tickets shortly after I left that job. And I remember being like, I can't believe I'm buying these tickets right now because I just left this job. But it, you know, I was so committed to it and I had already built up the business so much and uh, it just, it just worked out and I was able to maintain that. But it, I don't think it ever gets less frightening. If I take you back to that time, I have two questions mm-hmm. for you. What was the best decision that you made and what was the worst decision that you made? Ooh, that's a good question. I guess the best decision is just that I did it. I mean, I kept pursuing that and I kept, you know, I pushed through any learning curve issues or stumbling blocks that I might have had and, you know, and I knew at the time I was young and I I had studied photography in school and everything, but there was so much to learn and of course I had been working with film and this was the early digital era now and there weren't a lot of people you could really ask for help and certainly at the time, you know, the internet as far as learning tools for all of that was not what it is today. And so I, I really had to work to figure it all out. And I'm so glad I did. So I think sticking with it was a really good decision. 
the worst decision, that's a tricky one to answer. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm really pretty happy with all how it came together. I have always like many artists wish that I knew more or was more comfortable with the like organizational structure of the accounting that goes with it. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's just been a learning process too. I mean, just (laughs) learning how to use QuickBooks and all of that does not come naturally to me. So maybe I guess it would have been nice to have taken a course or something or like just learned more about the accounting profession and industry and like what that how that all works but but I mean I'm also I pushed enough that I I did what I needed to to get by with that but it would be nice to know more you're talking about the amount of hustling that you were doing when you did have that full-time job Mm -hmm. You, you know you've met a lot of other photographers do you think it takes that kind of hustling that that kind of sort of push 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 that really is necessary to be be successful or have you observed other people who may not have pushed it as hard as you, but still have managed to create some success for them? What, what's your, what's your take on that? I think you have to hustle. I mean, some people maybe hustle more passionately than others or more with more fervor than others, but you know, it's not going to just come to you or at least if it did at first, if you're not hustling, I guess when we talk about hustling, we often refer to that as the business generation side of things and just generating new clients and new income and, you know, extending your reach, I guess that way. But, but I also mean it in the way that you have to hustle your own further continuing education in the field as well. And I think that's one thing that some people, if they lack hustle, it might be in that department. So in which case they're, they're going to plateau, I think very early, you know, because their skill will stop at some point. And then, you know, if they're not hungry to keep learning more and to keep getting better, then I think it shows. Yeah. You know, you're in a very competitive market Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering when you first started out, how, how did you see yourself differentiating yourself from all the other wedding and event photographers that, uh, that were out there at the time? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, you know, in my earlier, my most explosively growth growing years, um, explosively busy, I should say, um, I was really, I think, even more than weddings, I was really known for shooting seniors. And I think at that time, my approach was very different. Of course, I think now it's a little more common over the years. And I've actually transitioned out of shooting seniors partly because I just felt like I was kind of done, (laughs) done with it. But at the time that was my like main thing. And I was shooting four seniors per day on, in addition to the weddings on the weekends. And I just tried really hard to be different. So I didn't, I, I wasn't really posing a whole lot. It was more fashion than the traditional senior look. It was much more fashion centric. And, you know, the whole experience, I think, was just different. I was very youthful with the kids. And I think my young age helped compared to a lot of the older photographers who'd been doing it forever. I mean, they were shooting seniors way back when I was a senior. And they were, you know, older even at that time. So I was young and excited and really hands-on with all the kids. And 
My brand was very fresh and funky and we had a really good time. And I also really established a difference in that the package that I offered was was always just a single package. So when people would contact me about, you know, what are their options? I was really like, your option is to hire me or not to hire me. That's the option. (laughs) (laughs) Because this is what you're going to get. You know, I, I personally struggle sometimes with making choices about things. I just get really caught up in the, you know, trying to make the best decision and be being really sometimes overly cautious about making good decisions. And I know that the more information you have, sometimes the harder it is. And I felt like I didn't want my clients to be having a hard time. So I figured if I could reduce the amount of decisions they have to make when it comes to working with me, then it would be helpful. And that seemed to have been huge. And I decided I was going to have one package and it was going to be one that was very much worth my time and energy. That was it. And it included an album. I wanted all my clients to have something tangible that they could take and show off, which I knew would be great marketing because in high school, those kids are all about... (laughs) you know, their, their image and all of that. And I wanted them to be able to share something tangible as well, of course, as like social media stuff, but I wanted something out on the table at their graduation parties in the spring. So I made everyone an album and I did all the design work for it. There was no input from them at all because that just seemed like a big can of worms. And I just, I presented it all up front as very, Uh, easy for them. Like they make the decision to hire me. We go do this great shoot. They get great images. They're going to get this great book and it's not a lot of hassle for them. And it seemed to have really taken off. And I, I know that the other photographers around town, of course, had a lot of different packages and you could have print credits and I don't know, all these complicated things. And I just was like, I'm not having any of it. And I think, I think it made the whole experience with me very clean and easy and simple. And I think people really seem to appreciate that. No, that's, that's a really great idea. Um, I, yeah. I know that you've taught about uh, book design and you, know, mm-hmm. you just mentioned it in terms of the, what you are offering uh, the, the seniors. Did, did you find early on that that was something that you love to do? And that was one of the reasons you felt like, man, I, I want to package my offerings around this because I enjoy doing it so much as opposed to doing a bunch of individual print sales because that can be a real hassle. Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I really, I like doing the the albums. And of course, it was something that I was only going to do if I could be incredibly efficient with it, because if that was going to be a big time drain and energy drain, then that wouldn't make economic sense at all. Right. So it was for that reason. I mean, I enjoyed it. I was efficient and quick at it, but, but really the the biggest drive for me was just honestly looking out for my clients and feeling like when I'm done with them, when they're done, you know, getting whatever it is that they want to get out of this session, I want them to not have regrets and to not feel like they paid me all this money, but they're not really sure what they got for it. So it was really about, I want them to feel good when it's all over with. And I felt like the best way that I could ensure that was by making them this book, because 
I hated, like if people want to order prints, that's great. But I, I was not pushing them. I, I was never someone who had the big sales consultation with a projector and all of that. I think that's great. And I think it has a purpose and some people are great at it. I was so busy and just not interested in it, to be mm -hmm. honest. I, I just really didn't care. And I thought I, if I leave them with anything, I want it to be this book. And that's really what drove it was, was just a genuine looking, looking out for what I felt was their best interest in the long run. Yeah. You know, and I told them you can order whatever you want, prints, whatever, I don't care. But like, you're getting this book because you'll appreciate it more than you realize later. Well, you, uh, you're based out of Lincoln before, but you didn't start your photographic business there. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've been here the whole time. Oh, you've been there the whole time. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. tell me about just the nature of the wedding industry in the Midwest, because oftentimes when we hear about all these sort of name photographers, they're always in sort of West Coast, East Coast, in these big cities. And <laughs> yes, what, very glamorous. <laughs> so what's your, your experience, even though you don't have anything to compare it to, what, you know, your perspective in terms of being a, a wedding and event photographer in the Midwest? Well, um, you know, I think it's different. The budgets are different. The, um, the experience of the day is, is different. Uh, I think the clients are perhaps often younger than they might be on the coast. <laughs> we always have to work around Husker football game days. <laughs> that is huge. That, I mean, <laughs> that's just really sets the schedule, I think, for like everything in this state. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's different. I think, you know, I think the days, the days are always long, but out here we have a lot of young couples getting married um, in a church or wherever where the ceremony is, is somewhat early in the day. And then, you know, the reception doesn't happen until much later. So we have this funny in between period where <laughs> oftentimes the the couple and their wedding party will get on a bus and drive around and hit the bars in between the ceremony and the reception. And that's kind of a thing here, I guess. I don't think they really do that on the coast as much, but you know, just little things like that. I've seen things with the game days where even, you know, some people either move their wedding to a Friday to avoid the game, or if there happens to be an off weekend, you know, forget about it. You better book your wedding like two years in advance because the off, <laughs> the off game days sell out the fastest with every kind of vendor. Um, but I've also seen people embrace it and, actually put a television somewhere in the reception so that their guests can watch the game while they party on, I guess. <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting uh, mix out here, but there's a lot of nuances that, you know, I think every part of the country gets to have. Your, your, your new book is The Enthusiast Guide to Decomposition. And uh, I, I'm really interested to, to hear about your approach with respect to composition when it comes to doing event work? Because to my mind, when I think about event work, I often think of certain sort of staples of the kinds of shots that you want to get. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can, uh, I, I see some photographers that sort of follow a, a trope or a sort of a cliche in terms of mm -hmm. how they sort of build the photograph. 
And I think one of the challenges is to try to make a photograph that sort of is in line with the expectations of the client, but also is compositionally sort of interesting, you know, in Mm -hmm. terms of light, in terms of line, in terms of shape. You know, when you're out there and you're photographing, how conscious are you of of what you're trying to do compositionally and balancing that out with the storytelling that you're trying to achieve? Oh, yeah, that's a nice way of putting all of it. You are always, as a photographer, I think you're always aware of composition. And, you know, I think you do the shots that you know you need to get and you try to do them in as interesting of a way as possible. And then once you sort of have all your safety bases covered, then you can really push the envelope and experiment more. And I think one of the things that I have enjoyed over the years is sort of getting like new, you know, you pick up a new trick or you find a new tool or something that you enjoy and, you know, you experiment and play with it for a while. Maybe it's a new type of a light or a light modifier, or maybe it's for a while. um, I used to actually bring some small and manageable backdrops with me on location to different weddings, just in case, you know, that they're really, I mean, some places are pretty, They make it really hard to find some interesting um, scenery to work with. Mm -hmm. And so I went through a phase where I would bring these really small, very funky backdrops with me and, and I would play with them and try new things. And, you know, I sort of let that run its course and then I got over it and moved on to something else. So I don't know, I think having different tools and things keeps you fresh and lets you keep keep working on that composition and always keeping it in the forefront of your mind, even when, you know, there are certain things that you sort of feel obligated to, to capture a certain way. So, so walk me through that. I mean, you go to an event space where you're going to be doing photography and let's say you're going to be doing a lot of, you know, the, uh, uh, the formal portraits of the bride and the groom and the Mm -hmm. wedding party. Once you get there, are you pretty much hunting for, the space. So you're trying to find sort of the setting first in which you'll place your subjects. Is that the way you sort of start thinking about the whole idea of of the composition? How does that work for you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, sometimes clients will tell me, oh, have you been to this church before? And if I tell them that I haven't, or, or whatever the venue is, if I tell them I haven't been there before, you know, then they'll be like, oh, well, you, you, maybe we can set up a time to come meet and look at it. And they, they get worried, like, like I should go investigate it. And I, I always tell them, you know what, it, it doesn't matter what we do ahead of time because the day of the wedding, it's going to look completely different than whatever day we would show up and try to scout that. Because, of course, the weather and the time of day and the oh, the light and all of that. So I never did a lot of advanced scouting. But the day of the event, I would usually budget myself an extra half hour or something. So I would show up about a half hour or more sometimes earlier than when I told the client I'd be there. And that's when I would take a few moments to walk around, check out things and get some ideas about where might be good for for the family portraits, where might be good for just the alone time that I have with the couple creating portraits with just the two of them. Um, you know, I try to figure out like where's the best place for me to 
manage the the ceremony and where am I going to move for different parts of the ceremony? And I just kind of figure that all out before I fire up all my gear and say hello and check in with the client. And I think, I think that's really helpful because like I said, so many things change um, that it's nice that I'm not showing up with a preconceived idea of where everything is going to be and then showing up that day thinking I have it all figured out and then realizing that it's all been destroyed because now something's under construction or the weather's not cooperating or the light is different. So I, I figure it out the morning of or the day of. And I think, I don't know, perhaps some people like to have that all ironed out ahead of time, but I found that I can be more reliable about it and really almost have more time to work on it if I do it that day because mm-hmm. I'm only working with what's actually happening that day. And, you know, and then we go from there. And sometimes I have a couple of places and I'll think about things like mobility for the family portraits and stuff. Maybe I have a couple of locations in mind and maybe there's going to be some mobility issues with grandparents or something that may make me choose one location over another, or maybe we'll do some things in one place and then move to another to, you know, make it more accessible for whoever. So little things like that, you know, they, they definitely play a role. In the past, when I've traveled, I reluctantly took a tripod with me. Though I wouldn't use it often, I knew that at some point I would need it for a couple of shots. But as good as my full-size tripod is, the burden of toting it around for the airport through security and walking around a city hardly made it worth a couple of photographs that I would create with it. But then I got turned on to me photo tripods, and now having a tripod as part of my travel kit is a real pleasure. Their line of compact and lightweight tripods is not just about size and weight, it's about stability and reliability, which is a must with any tripod. That's especially the case with their new line of tripod, the Mi Photo Air. It's 30% lighter than classic Mi Photo models, and it provides super fast setup with its new Hyperlock leg system. It's available in backpacker, road trip, globetrotter models, and in seven brilliant colors. Check them out and order one today. You can save 15% off from your purchase by using the promo code VCANDIDFRAME when you visit mephoto.com. That's M-E-F-O-T-O dot com. You know, in the, in the book, you offer 50 photographic principles for mm-hmm. making better compositions. And can you give me an example uh, in the book that would help people with probably, I think, the biggest challenge that any event shooter has to has to surmount, which is the group photograph. <laughs> <laughs> for me, that is like, I can shoot practically everything, but you give me five or more people and I'm just, I, I, I can freeze up. So what? give sure. me an example within your book that sort of would help people with respect to figuring out where do you put a bunch of people for, for a group photograph? Sure. Well, one of the things that I talk about is the importance of motion or movement. That's something that I like in my images a lot. And I think I did that 
from the beginning, even with my seniors, it was very, very rarely did we ever sit on a stool and pose. You know, I would have them outside jumping or running or dancing or laughing or whatever. And I transfer that also in, into my group photos. Now, of course, there are the, the formal ones, which, you know, every every parent and grandparent wants the, the traditional formal one. But when I'm shooting the wedding party, for example, which out here is often quite large, uh, that can be a challenge. And of course, the photos that they want are the ones where they are having fun and they look happy. So oftentimes what I'll do is get them, you know, away from like out of whatever building we're in and, and we go outside, maybe up on a hill or into a field or wherever I can get them. And I, I just play with them. Like I'll have them, um, do silly things that, make them feel ridiculous, but then they laugh and I get great shots. And one of them is I'll have them line up like single file in a line facing the camera and just link arms like, like we used to do on the playground as kids. And then I, I'll squat down really low and I'll have them like on the top of a hill and I'll have them just walk towards me. And I tell them, you know, you can look anywhere, you can look at each other, you can look ahead where you're going, you can, you can be laughing, you can be silly, you can be whatever, just I tell them I don't want them to look at the camera. And I let them just walk towards me. And I get great shots out of that because they're usually like, this is ridiculous, but they're, they're laughing about it. And, and I just fire away. And I love the shots I get out of that. They have a lot of movement, they have natural expression. Um, and it, it just really adds a lot. So it's still a group photo, but they're actually doing something. And it, I usually do a full spread of that image in the, in the album. If I am, you know, or something similar, I'll usually use really largely in the, in the album because uh, it's just that it ends up being that great. And, and how are you considering everything else that's in the frame? Cause you just spoken about like the couple of the family members that are in the photograph, but what are you thinking about when you're thinking about what's in the background, what's in the foreground, what's oh, the sure. position of the edge of the frame? Well, for something like that, I'm usually looking for simplicity and color. Uh, my images tend to be very uh, graphical or geometric, I guess. And so for something like that, I would, I'd be inspired to create an image like that. I mean, I don't do something like that every time, obviously, but I would feel like, oh, this would be great. Here, if I see like a, a hill or something where I can get them above me, and and of course that also helps to clear the background behind them. So if I can get them up on a hill where there's nothing that the camera sees behind them except for blue sky, then I get really excited about it because I just think, how cool, you know, the final image looks like they, they could be anywhere. They're just on this green hill. There's a blue sky, you know, the, there's flowers and bouquets and whatever color dresses and the contrast of the tuxedos. And I, I just love it. So it's a lot of color and contrast. Uh, and I'll also often end up doing a tilted horizon in a shot like that. Mm -hmm. And that I think accomplishes two things. It accentuates the idea of movement and uh, making it a dynamic image, but it also elongates the line that I have to work with. So it allows me to get closer and fit still what may be 20 people or, or more in a frame. 
uh, because, you know, the diagonal is going to be a longer line than just a straight horizontal one. Yeah. So I, I love that. And I, I find myself doing it just, you know, without even thinking. And then, um, in teaching these things, of course, you, you start analyzing, well, why do I do it this way so much more than you even had, you know, ever done before. And then you realize really how powerful those things are. So how do you, how do you contend? Because some people go to, to websites of photographers and they look at, at their work and they go, wow, you know, if I was shooting in venues like that, I would be <laughs> able to make fantastic photographs too, you know, right. but cause right. You know, I've had my experiences where I'm having to shoot in a venue that is was not designed with a photographer in mind, right? right. There's just a lot of busyness. There's the potential for distractions are everywhere. Yes. Uh, the lighting is less than ideal. So, you know, it's when things are less than ideal, how do you still pull off making a really good composition, especially when you have all those potential potential distractions that could enter the frame and run the shot. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's really what makes someone a professional versus someone who likes taking pictures and, and gets lucky often. Right. So being professional means being consistent in many ways. It's one of, of many things it means, but to me that that's a, a hallmark of a true professional is being able to be consistent and get, great quality stuff, even when you're faced with all those limitations. So things that I do, um, it could be something as simple as really taking control. And I think sometimes people are afraid to do that and telling, you know, I'll tell my client if they are, happen, if they happen to be getting dressed in what is often the case is a preschool room in the basement of a church. Um, I mean, sometimes I've been down there and there's Noah's Ark murals painted on all four walls. I mean, just plus, you know, then there's like preschool posters and like, I mean, it's just awful. Um, but rather than just being like, oh man, this is the worst place ever. I will tell them, you know what? why don't we pick up all your stuff and run out over here and we can, you know, take, take the circus into this room or this <laughs> corner or, you know, so I'll really direct them. And I think sometimes people are afraid of, of interfering, but it's not like I'm telling them how to live the moment or how to, you know, I'm not posing them, but I'm just saying, let's take this naturally occurring situation and let's just move it away from the Noah's Ark mural into this other room. Um, or, and another thing I've done, like I mentioned before is with those, um, those little backdrops and that has really been helpful in some situations where, you know, it's blizzarding outside and as fun as it would be to shoot out in the snow, it can be very challenging to convince the bride that that's a good idea in the howling wind before the ceremony. It seems like after the ceremony there, you know, you have a lot more flexibility. So possibly maybe you push some shots that you want to do until after the ceremony when the clients are much more relaxed. But other times, you know, I would just set up those backdrops and then I can, I can light them and um, have a lot more control over the environment than I would if I just, you know, kept my mouth shut. And I try to be a fly on the wall. I I'm very photojournalistic in part of my approach, but I'm going to step in when, you know, it's really a, a, a bad situation and I want to make sure that I'm getting stuff that I'm going to be happy with. Yeah. So, yeah, you just got to, you have to balance it. Um, 
and not be afraid to, to shape it a little bit. Well, there have been a lot of books that talk about composition. What, mm-hmm. were you, what were you hoping to bring to the table that was different with respect to this, this particular book? What, what, was, what was the takeaway that you were hoping that people who read it would, would take away from, from reading it? Well, I wanted it to be very practical. You know, I think sometimes people, theory, of course, is fascinating and, and interesting and, and helpful, but sometimes people just don't have the patience to, to read a lot about theory. They want to get practical. And I love that this approach was these digestible snippets of just little little takeaways that you can you can read something and then you can immediately apply it mm-hmm. and to have a whole book of of roughly 50 of those i think is is really great and i i think mine ended up being like 48 or something <laughs> and i loved working with rocky nook about that because they they were flexible and i told them you know i don't do fluff so i'm not going to like invent two silly things to to equal 50 just because we like that number and it's round. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll put it out there and however many things it breaks out into, that's what it is. And, and I, I love that they were cool with that because I wanted to maintain, you know, that these things are really legitimate and they're not fluff to just fill pages. And, and so that's what we did. And I think it turned out great. So what, because a lot of people will watch a YouTube video or they'll read a book or they'll read a magazine article about composition. But when it comes time to actually start making their images, they all, often get very flustered. Yeah. Just because they just feel like they can't take what they read about or what they saw in the video and somehow translate it to what they're doing with, with a camera. Mm-hmm. You know, you went through that whole, you know, that, that experience yourself as you develop as a photographer. You know, beyond the information itself, what advice can you give to people to help them sort of absorb that information so that it's, it manifests itself in their, in the photograph. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because <laughs> it's like the it's it's one of those things where you read about it and you read about it and I think as long as you're you're trying and you're conscious and you're thinking about it, you will get there. And and you'll have a moment where it just suddenly makes sense and you suddenly get it. Hmm. And then you'll be like, I can't believe I ever didn't get this. Um, but I will say that I think that moment comes more easily when you are not flustered. And I, you know, I would practice these things on your own time. In addition to, of course, when you're, you know, with clients, but if you are feeling like there's an area that you are weak in, you don't want to wait until you have a subject and like a paying client in front of your lens to be practicing it. Cause mm-hmm. you're going to freak out and panic and you're not going to get the best results. So you know, that's something to just take and practice on your own for your own personal growth and learning and enjoyment, hopefully. Um, and then when you get better at it, it will come more fluidly when you're actually in a working situation. And I think sometimes people just, you know, it still goes back to that hustle where it's like, okay, you want to, you want to be good at this, but you have to put in the time to get there. And that's the hustle that, that is just as important as the actual business building hustle is the skill building hustle. Did you find that there were times when you were trying to do something different differently and that in order to sort of to not fall into a rut compositionally mm-hmm. that you had to sort of 
take some risks and try repeatedly to sort of make a, a different kind of image until you succeeded? Was that part of your process of learning how to make not just good compositions, but compositions that were different, that were that were fresh? Yeah, I mean, it's always, you know, practice, practice, practice. And I think it's, it's I think I always had sort of the general style that I still have today. I think I got better over the years at, at really boiling down my images to the essence of just that style. I think in the earlier days, I was a little more, I don't want to say all over the place, because how can you be a little more all over the place? <laughs> that sounds like an oxymoron, but I was more like sometimes I would shoot in one kind of style and in other times it would maybe be a little different. But over the years, I think I've gotten really good at just like honing my sense of what I like, what I'm looking for and how to make it happen. Um, but, you know, you still have to experiment. I mean, <laughs> I laugh at myself sometimes when I'm shooting a cake, for example, because I'll be like, Ooh, you know, I'm going to try it this way. And then I'm going to try it this other way. And then what happens if I do it like this and I may be exploring some new idea. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting working at this cake for how long and people are watching me like, wow, <laughs> she can't seem to get a good picture of this cake, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, I'm trying different things and, and they may or may not pan out, but I think it's important that you never give up on that because even when you feel like, Oh, I've got my style and I've got my, you know, the way I like to do things, you, it, it's surprising how in some environment, when you try something new, you may really strike gold and get some kind of really cool shot that that you never had tried before or never would have tried before. And it can be really rewarding. You know, I, I saw that you, you're, you're very much into fitness and you practice yoga. Yeah. And I was wondering how the practice of yoga and, you know, just the, the, the physical sort of commitment that you have to have with respect to your own body helps you with respect to not just how you are as a photographer, but also as a business person. Oh, well, I think... It's one of those things where like, you know, it seems like the more busy you are and the more stuff you have to do, the more it actually gets done. You know, like there's that expression that says, if you want something done, give the task to a busy person. <laughs> and I, I think it's really true. And I, I really like structure and maintaining a structure where I'm taking care of myself um, is really important. And you know, I think any biz busy person in today's world struggles with balance and how do you, how do you quote, do it all. And of course you can't do it all, all the time. But one of the things that helps really to just make it possible for you to do what you need to do and do it well, and at least maintain some level of, of balance is to take care of yourself. And that, that is something that, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've been, an active person for ever really. But, but more recently after having my first kid, I really realized how absolutely crucial it is. And I, I really made it an absolutely non-negotiable part of my day. And that changes everything because no longer am I even really entertaining thoughts about 
oh, I don't feel like it today or I don't have time for it today. Every day I'm thinking, where am I putting it in my day? Not how can I put, not like, will I fit it into my day? It's where will I put it? And for example, today is kind of a bit unusual, um, but I had to get up earlier than I would normally get up um, to fit in a workout, even after having worked out just last night. So I haven't really had a full recovery, but had to fit it in just because that's, if it was going to happen today, that's where it needed to be. And that's not where I end up having to put it all the time, but sometimes I end up with very early workouts or very late workouts. Um, but that's just a commitment that I've made to myself and I'm sticking to it. And it's really been helpful. Do do you find that having sort of a, sort of a standard morning routine in terms of self care, in terms of your family time, in terms of your photography business, that that's really sort of essential for you to be able to succeed at what you do? Oh, definitely. I mean, and now, you know, it's not just my schedule. <laughs> it's that little one uh, I'm hearing. Yeah. There's my son. Yes. He, <laughs> he found me. He came in here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's maintaining a schedule <laughs> for him as well. And, you know, it can be very, very tricky, but I, I have to talk with my husband about how actually it's been super great. You know, I get way less sleep now than, than I have had in a long time. And um, our days start much earlier and we have so many things to fit into it. But we often look at each other and we're like, you know, it's actually like somewhat easier and more enjoyable because we, we know what to expect on a given day and we're committed to it and um, it just seems to make things flow a little bit easier. Great. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Oh, well, a lot of people know her uh, already. I think Mary Ellen Matthews is the photographer for, Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah. Uh And um, I have been a longtime fan of her work. And what people may not notice if you're, you know, if you're only a casual fan of the show um, or you've only seen her work sort of in passing, she shoots everything on white scenes. And all of her color and like funky stuff that goes into the image is all done in post production. I think it's really cool that she does that because in many ways it's very liberating, you know, like she is restricted only by her imagination. I know. And it's a really simple step. So every week she's not having to think like, Oh, where am I going to get this back backdrop or whatever? Um, I just think it's really cool. I love her style. I love the processing that happens on the images and, you know, they're often dynamic and the guests are, doing all kinds of things you know they're not just sitting and um i think it's exciting i I look forward to seeing her work every week on the show well thank you so much for appearing on the show uh here it was a real pleasure to have a chance to sit down and talk with you oh well thank you the pleasure is all mine
Thanks again to Kara Plichenek for joining us here at TCF. You can check out her work by visiting kabloomstudios.com. That's kabloom spelled K-A-B-L-O-O-M.com. Remember that you continue to play a big role in introducing others to the work that we do here at TCF. Take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. You can also support the show by making a regular monthly contribution through Patreon. You can contribute amounts of $2, $5, $10 or more, or anything in between on a monthly basis and help make a big difference to the work we're doing here at TCF. And lastly, I'm working on joining photographer and fellow podcaster Martin Bailey for his Hokkaido Winter Landscape Photography Adventure in the beginning of January, and I hope to see some of you there. You can find out more about this wonderful experience by visiting martinbaileyphotography.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the other martintaylor.com. Our senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.